Section 57 of Mysteries of London, Volume 4. This is a LibriOx recording. All LibriOx recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriOx.org. Recording by Brittany Rill. Mysteries of London, Volume 4, by George W. M. Reynolds. Laura Zamore. Seating herself upon the sofa, Laura motioned the Italian to place himself by her side an invitation which he obeyed with a species of enthusiastic clarity. But all the time he was unable to take his eyes off her, as if he still doubted whether it was indeed a fact that his good fortune had conducted him into the presence of her, whose image had never once been absent from his mind since he first beheld her that afternoon in the Champs-Élysées. "'Is it possible?' he again ejaculated after a few moments' silence." The young woman promised me that if I were discreet, I might expect the happiness of seeing you. Yes, you, sweetest lady, again. But I confess that I doubted her, and I came that I might not throw away a chance at felicity, rather the sanguine hope of attending it. And when you have leisure for reflection, said Laura, casting down her eyes and blushing, you will despise me for my imprudence, my indelicacy of conduct in thus sending to invite a stranger to visit me. "'Adorable woman!' exclaimed the impassioned Italian. "'I shall think of you with gratitude, with devotion, with love, and never lightly. Oh, be assured of that!' And seizing her hand, he conveyed it to his lips and covered it with kisses. "'Nevertheless, you must be surprised at my boldness in directing my servant to seek you, and to make this appointment with you,' pursued Laura, her bosom heaving so as almost to burst from its confinement." and she felt the warm mouth of the Castelci Calan glued to her hand, which she did not attempt to withdraw. "'I am only surprised at my own happiness,' observed the young officer. "'Sweetest Laura, for I now know your name. Tell me how I have thus been deemed worthy of a favor of which a prince might envy me of the enjoyment.' "'An accident threw us together for a few minutes this afternoon,' said Laura, "'and I was struck by your personal appearance.' your manners, your conversation, and, oh, how profoundly I was impressed by the magic of your beauty, Laura, interrupted the ardent Italian. How earnestly I longed to hear once more the music of that melodious voice, to look again into the depths of those magnificent eyes, to contemplate that glorious countenance, that admirable form, and now, oh, now the desire is realized, and no human language has words powerful enough to convey to you an idea of happiness which I experience in this moment. As he thus spoke, he threw his arms around her waist and drew her towards him. Charming creature, he exclaimed after a few moments' pause, during which he gazed upon her with a rapture which can only be conveyed and not explained. How can I make thee comprehend the extent of my love? my adoration, my worship. I have traveled much, have seen beauties of all climes and of all varieties of loveliness, but never did mine eyes settle upon one so transparently charming as thou. When I parted from thee this afternoon in the Champs-Élysées, it was as if I were tearing myself away from someone whom I had loved all my life, and whom I was never to see again. I was a second Adam expelled from another Eden, and now, now I behold thee once more. I am seated in thine presence. Thou smilest upon me. Oh, it is heaven, it is heaven. And, as if in transparent of fury, so impassioned was his soul, 
he drew her still closer towards him, and literally seizing her head within both of his hands, glued his lips to hers, sucking in her very breath. Intoxicated with sensual happiness, Laura offered no resistance to the adore of the handsome young man, but ere she completely yielded herself up to him, she remembered that something was due to prudence as well as to the delights of love. Accordingly, withdrawing herself from his embrace, though still permitting his arm to encircle her waist, she said, I can refuse you nothing, but first swear, by all you deem most sacred, that you will never betray me. Never, never, ejaculated Barthelma. I take God to witness that my lips shall never breathe a word injurious of your honor. On the contrary, he cried in a tone of deep sincerity. Should I ever hear a man speak lightly of you, I will provoke him to a duel that shall terminate only in the death of one, if not both. And should a woman dare to mention your name irreverently, I will fabricate a tale injurious to her honor. That I may avenge you. Thanks. A thousand thanks, my generous friend, murmured Laura, one of her white hands playing with the long, dark, curling hair of the Castel C. Calan. But may you not... In an unguarded moment, with carousing perhaps with your brother officers, may you not inadvertently allude to the adventure which happened to you in Paris, and then be unconsciously drawn out, under the influence of wine, to make a revelation which will prove the ruin, the utter ruin of the weak, but the confiding woman who trusts so much of your honor to this night? May my tongue blister, may lightning strike me, May I be cast down a corpse at the feet of those to whom I ever open my lips to speak irreverently or ungratefully to thee, exclaimed the Italian with terrible energy. No, my adored Laura, you have not the slightest ground for apprehensions of that nature. I am a man of honor, and I would rather shed the last drop of my blood to serve thee than raise a finger to harm thee. Beautiful creature, adorable woman. Who that possesses a spark of human feeling could do aught to bring a tear to thine eye or chase away the smile from thy lips? I am thy slave, Laura, and I rejoice in wearing the change which thy magic loveliness has cast around me. In this impassioned strain did the Italian pour forth his adoration, and as Laura gazed upon him with eyes swimming with very wantonness, she thought that he was far more handsome than she ever fancied him to be in the afternoon and even that when he first appeared before her in that evening. He, too, on his part, found the siren a thousand times more witching, more beauteous, more attractive than she ever seemed in her carriage. And yet, even then he had been ready to fall down and worship her. Now he beheld her in the light of the evening toilette, with naked neck and naked arms, no scarf, not even the most transparent gauze veiling her shoulders of alabaster whiteness with hair dressed in massive curls instead of high Pyrian ringlets, now too he could perceive by the undulations of her attire that her limbs were turned with a symmetry that was elegant and yet robust, admirable in shape, though full in their proportions. I thank you most sincerely for the assurances of secrecy which you have given me, said Laura in the sweetest, most melting candice of her delicious voice. Likewise, for the chivalrous professions which you have coupled with them, you declare yourself to be my slave, she added, but it will be for this night only. And she hid her countenance on his breast, as if ashamed of the invitation which her words implied, 
an invitation that welcomed him at her abode until the morning. In one sense, I understand you, my charmer, he said, kissing her beauteous head as it lay reclining on his bosom, and that alone ought to be happiness sufficient for me. But I am greedy, I am covetous, and I demand more. Listen, adored Laura, grant me your patience for a few minutes. She raised her head and gazed tenderly into his animated countenance as he spoke. I am not a rich man, he continued, but I possess a compendency, nay, a handsome compendency, and I care not how soon I abandon the service of even so good and excellent a prince as his sovereign highness, in order to devote myself wholly and solely to you. I know not who you are. I only know that you are the loveliest creature on the face of God's earth, and that your name is Laura Mortimer. Neither do I seek to know more but I am ready and anxious to join my fortunes with yours, to marry you if you will accept me as your husband, to become your slave, your menial. Tell me, if not then, if we must part tomorrow, oh, let me remain with you, my charming Laura, until death shall separate us. It cannot be, my handsome Barthelma, murmured Laura, but let me call you by your Christian name. Lorenzo, said the Castelci Calan. You are, then, my handsome Lorenzo for this night, and this night only, continued Laura, throwing her warm, plump, exquisitely mottled arm around his neck, pressing her lips to his glowing cheek. Cruel, cruel, Laura, he exclaimed, returning the ardent caresses. Oh, would that the circumstances permitted. No circumstances can separate us, if you should decide that we should remain together interrupted the Castelci Calan in an impassioned tone. Alas, you know not. If you are already a wife, I will kill your husband, cried Lorenzo, again speaking with vehement eruptness. If you are engaged to wed one whom you dislike, I will dare him to wrest you from my arms. If you have relations, father or brothers, whom you imagine yourself bound to consult, you may rest well assured that in preferring my love to that of Kinth, and kin, you will be receiving the purest gold in exchange for our comparative dross. Dear Lorenzo, I must seal your eloquent lips with kisses, said Laura with an arch playfulness that was so full of wantonness. Yes, I must seal those red, moist lips, she murmured after having pressed her mouth to his. You will persuade me to give an affirmative answer to your endearing solicitations and that would only be record of promise tonight, which I would most break tomorrow. Are you, then, my angel, the mistress of some man whose wealth you are dependent, or in whose power circumstances have placed you? demanded the impassioned Italian, with more fervid frankness than considerate delicacy. I am not, I was never, and I shall never be a pensioned mistress, Lorenzo, answered Laura, her manner becoming suddenly haughty. Pardon me, Oh, I implore you to pardon me, my angel, exclaimed the young officer, straining her to his chest. Not for words I would offend you. Not even to save my soul from perditition would I wrong you by word or deed. Tell me, Laura, tell me, Laura, tell me, am I forgiven? She raised her countenance towards his own, and then when their lips met, she sealed his pardon with a long, burning kiss. And now, she said, do not ask me again to do that which is impossible. I cannot marry you, although I am not married. 
I cannot be your mistress, although I am not the mistress of another. I cannot hold out any hope to you, although I am pledged to none other. You are as enigmatical as you are charming. You are as mysterious as you are beautiful, exclaimed Lorenzo, contemplating his fair companion with the most enthusiastic rapture. And it is not now for you to mar the pleasure of which we enjoy in each other's society by seeking to render me less enigmatical or less mysterious, observed the siren. At the same time, I cannot be otherwise than flattered by the proposals you have made to me and the generous manner which you have expressed yourself on my behalf. Come, let us drink a glass of champagne to enhance the happiness of the moment and drown our careful reflections. Be it so, my charmer, said Lorenzo, and if I no more torment you with my entreaties, if I resolve to be content with myself in the amount of bliss which you have promised me, nevertheless, my dearest, ever-dearest Laura, I shall take leave of you tomorrow morning with the fervent hope that we shall shortly meet again. You told me this afternoon you proposed to visit Montoni in the course of the ensuing autumn. Yes, I have no doubt that I shall be enabled to fulfill that promise, interrupted Laura, by way of changing the topic of discourse. And now that you have given me to understand that you will not revive the useless, but flattering, and in some sense agreeable proposals you have made me just now, let us think only of the enjoyment of the present. It shall be as you say, my angel, returned Lorenzo, and he forthwith filled a glass with sparkling champagne, which he handed to his fair companion. She quaffed it at a drought, and the flood of light seemed to surface her entire countenance, and render her eyes more brilliant as diamonds. Her lips, too, moist with the generous juice, acquired a deeper red, and her bosom panted with amorous longing. Lorenzo beheld the effects of the rich liquid, and hastened to fill the glass again. Then, ere he drained it of its contents, he studiously placed to his lips the side which Laura's mouth had touched. "'You had two friends with you this afternoon in the champs, Elysee?' said the siren interrogatively, when they were once more seated, half-embraced in each other's arms upon the sofa. "'Yes, one was a fellow-countryman of mine, the other a native of your land, my beloved.' answered Lorenzo. But I must tell you the singular adventure that occurred to us, and indeed, he added with a smile, I am deeply indebted to a certain anonymous correspondent, for if it had not been through him, I should not have had this day visited the scene where I was fortunate enough to encounter you. A singular adventure, exclaimed Laura, with an admirable affectation of the most ingenious curiosity. Judge for yourself, my angel, replied Lorenzo, then, taking Rosalie's letter from his pocket, he handed it to Laura, who, consuming the strong desires though she were, could scarcely suppress a laugh as she pursued the billet, which the contents of which she was already so well acquainted. And did you see the poor man who addressed you and your friends with this wild, romantic style? She asked, restoring him the note. He did not make his appearance, responded Barthelma. But even if that letter were the production of some mischievous wag or a crazy person, I could not possibly feel otherwise than rejoiced at having been made the dupe of either a humorist or a madman. For, as I just now observed, the anonymous letter led to my meeting you. But doubtless, your two companions found more difficulty in consoling themselves for the disappointment, said Laura. Faith, dear lady, exclaimed Lorenzo, they spoke but little on the subject, for, to tell you the truth, 
your beauty had not failed to produce a very sensible effect on them as well as upon myself. Flatterer, cried Laura, playfully caressing the handsome Italian. Oh, you know that you are lovely, transcendently lovely, he exclaimed in an ardent tone. And you can well believe me when I assure you that my true friends escaped not the magic influence of your charms. But how different were the effects thus produced. Da Ponta, that is the name of my fellow countryman, was enthusiastic and rapturous in your praise. Whereas Charles Hatfield, the Englishman, became gloomy, morose, and sullen. A singular effect for the good looks of a woman to produce, cried Laura, laughing, while her heart beat with the joy of a proud triumph. Such, nevertheless, was the case in this instance, my angel, said Lorenzo. I do firmly believe that Hatfield was jealous of me in being the happy mortal who perceived the loss of your parasol, and had the honor of restoring it. Yes, jealous, my dear lady, because that happy accident introduced me to your notice, and privileged me to address you. Your English friend must be very weak-minded, young man, observed Laura, and I am truly delighted that it was not he whose acquaintance I was destined to make this day. Nevertheless, he is very handsome, said Lorenzo, gazing upon the siren with a playful affectation of jealousy. Not so handsome as you, my Barthelma, replied Laura, with simulated enthusiasm, and in order to dispel the partial coldness which a discretion from an numerous topic had allowed to creep over her, she cast her arms around Lorenzo's neck and fastened her lips to his. Then the blood began again once more to circulate like lightning in her veins, and her voluptuous bosom panted against the young Italian's chest. Here we shall leave the innumerous pair, for after a little tender diligence in another glass of the exciting juice of Apernay, they retired to the chamber whose portal we must not pass to follow them. At eight o'clock in the morning, Lorenzo Barthelma took his departure, and shortly afterwards, Rosalie entered Laura's room. The Frenchwoman, who was as discreet as she was an adapt to intrigue, wore the usual calm and respectful expression of countenance, and not even by a sly smile nor an arch look did she appear as if she devoted a thought to the manner in which her mistress had passed the night. Did the captain depart unperceived? inquired Laura, who, although she had given no instructions to that effect, was nevertheless well assured that her intelligent Abigail had superintended the egress of the handsome Italian. Entirely unobserved, mademoiselle, was the answer. I amused the porter and his wife in the lodge for a few minutes while Barthelma slipped out to the street. Three persons alone were acquainted with last night's adventure. You, the captain, and myself. Good, exclaimed Laura. Then, drawing aside the curtain of the bed in which she was voluptuously pillowed, she said, And now, my dear Rosalie, give me an account of your proceedings relative to the Marquise of Delmore. I have learnt but a few facts, mademoiselle, was the reply. Those, however, are some of importance. He is enormously rich, very generous, bears an excellent character. Is he married? demanded Laura hastily. Yes, but he has been living apart from his wife for many years. And respecting the cause of their separation, there is great mystery which not even his best friends can penetrate which, therefore, a casual inquirer like myself could not attain the least insight. And that is all you could ascertain concerning him? asked Laura interrogatively. Did you not think of asking if he had any family by his wife? 
"'I did not forget to make that inquiry, mademoiselle,' answered Rosalie, "'and I was assured that his lordship is childless.' "'You are a good and faithful creature,' observed Laura, "'and your services will prove invaluable to me. "'That purse which lies on the toilet table "'contains no insignificant sum in gold. "'It is yours, a recompense for the work of yesterday. "'But as you know more of me than you did before, "'and as in a few short hours I permitted you "'to obtain a deeper reading of my secret soul "'than you could possibly have acquired,' and that I shut myself up in a studied reserve, it is well that you should understand me thoroughly. I mean this, Rosalie. I can be a good friend or an impalpable enemy. I shall never provoke your enmity, mademoiselle, observed the Abigail. I do not think you will, Rosalie, resumed Laura. But as I said ere now, it is well that you should comprehend my character in all its details, in all its phases. You will benefit yourself by serving me faithfully. You would only injure yourself by playing me false. When once I have said upon this subject all that I mean to say, I shall not again refer to it. But the better we understood each other, the more permanent will be our connection. Reckon, then, on my friendship so long as you deserve it. Deceive me, and I will risk my very life to be avenged. Oh, mademoiselle, exclaimed Rosalie, absolutely frightened by the velments with which her mistress spoke. Have I done anything to render you suspicious of me? You have done all you could to serve me, and you see that I have not forgotten to reward you. But within the last twelve or eighteen hours, I have permitted you to read all the weaknesses of my soul, and now it is requisite that you should understand its strength. I have made you my confidant, but I deemed it prudent to convince you that I know how to punish treachery. That is all, Rosalie. I have no more to say upon the subject. And now, let me see your pretty face cheer up and wear a smile. The Frenchwoman was reassured by these last words, and, finding that her mistress had only intended to give her a sultry warning and not upbraid her for any actual misconduct, she speedily recovered her wanton gaiety and good spirits. End of section 57 Recording by Brittany Rill